Amen. What an exciting song. Christ, the Lord of all. Glad, excited to hear our worship this morning and how that we're responding to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our worship. This morning we get to start a new series, His Story, Our Hope. And uh, that's really what Easter is all about, isn't it? It's His Story, Our Hope. If you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 19. And we'll be picking up in verse 16. But I want you to think with me this morning about hope at the darkest hour. As you look through the, through the life of Jesus, you see hope all along the way. And, uh, and then, you, then you see all of a sudden uh, we get to, this, to the trial, to the crucifixion, and then finally to the resurrection. But there's some dark hours along the way. And so this morning we want to stop and we want to think a little bit about the fact that he had followers. He had a group of 12 that followed him. And uh, this group of 12 that followed him uh, everywhere he went, these disciples, as they were there, they, they, got, they were, had a close relationship with Jesus. And this was a tight-knit group. And just think what was going on in their minds. Think of the emotion that they were experiencing as they watched their friend betrayed. As they watched their leader go to the cross. And as they watched their leader uh, go through this dark, dark hour. It's no longer a moment of great miracles. They really were excited by all the, the great miracles that they had seen. They saw the water turn into wine. They saw the, uh, the bread and the fish become uh, many, many meals for 5,000 people. Jesus doing all these great miracles. But what was about to happen would be the greatest miracle yet. But yet, in that moment, it looked like a dark, dark hour. As we, look to Luke, uh, as we look to John chapter 19 this morning, I want to kind of set us up and remember that, yes, this is his story, but he's giving us our hope. And as, as we look at the hope that God gives us, one of the greatest hopes, first of all in your note, is that this was God's plan to save us. This was how God chose to save us. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had this wonderful relationship with God. And as they could walk with him, they could talk with him, they had constant fellowship with the Almighty. And God gave them everything that they needed. And he says of one tree, you shall not eat. And so one day the tempter comes in in the form of a serpent and tempts them. And as he, as he tempts them, they obviously fall. And part of their punishment was that they would to die like God said that they would. But look at this, there's a little snapshot from the very beginning of God telling us that he has a plan. Genesis 3.15, he says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Once you to think of the analogy of, 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 the, uh, of the serpent, Satan in the form of a serpent, and, uh, and the heel of the Almighty coming down on that serpent. For what happened at the crucifixion is exactly that. For the heel of God came down and crushed the enemy. But yet, there was a bruise. There was a bite to the heel of the Almighty. That's what happened at the cross. Um, and so we see from the time of Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, that God has a plan. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, But uh, at, when the right time came, God sent His Son born of a woman, subject to the law. Jesus came, born of a virgin birth, 
And it was at God's right time, and God had the time, God had the plan, and when God made that plan, he sent his son Jesus at the right time. I'm so thankful for that, because I can rest in the, the assurance that God has this under his control. And Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief. It was the will of the Father to crush the Son on the cross that day. Uh, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. So we see that, that God had a plan, and the plan was, uh, had been, had been of, of the Lord, and the Lord was making it to come to pass. The second thing that we see in, in your notes this morning is that this was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus had given of himself Everywhere he went, he was always concerned about people. He was concerned. He would teach the people. He, would, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did many miracles. And yet, now he comes to the point of the ultimate sacrifice. And let's begin reading today in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Then he delivered him to, the, then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the skull, the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. I'd like to direct your attention this morning to the place of the sacrifice. It was God's plan, and now it was God's place. He made a place for the sacrifice. The, the locals nicknamed this place Golgotha. It was the place of the skull, as you see in the scripture here. Um, this was a common place where the Roman crucifixion had taken place on a regular basis. This was an elevated place. It was known for the place of the death of criminals. But we've heard it called other names, such as Calvary as well. Remember, there was Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So they had the various different, the different languages had their, their different terms. Here we see Golgotha from, uh, from the Hebrew. We see Calvary coming from the Latin. They both mean the place of the skull. And so, uh, so you know, I grew up in the church singing songs like, I believe on a hill called Mount Calvary. And I remember the, the, the wonderful attraction it has for me. And, uh, but when we think of that, that word in that day, Calvary didn't mean what it means to you and I. It meant the place of the skull. It meant like a cranium, the skull. It was a place of death. It was, it was a terrible place. It was a place associated with death in the minds of the people of Jerusalem, yet it had been prepared by the Father. The foreknowledge on the planning of the Lord God. He had a plan. And this place was designed to host the death of the Son of God, the Lamb of God. 
The readers of that day understood the, the reality of the, of the cru Roman crucifixion. They understood that it was cruelty. And the criminal that was to be crucified would typically endure a beating uh, with a flagrum. That was a, a lead tip whip. And uh, before the execution, and they would beat them to the degree that they wanted the, the crucifixion to last. In other words, if they beat them longer at the flagrum, that the crucifixion would go shorter. If they had a lighter flogging, then the, then the crucifixion would go longer. It was not uncommon for crucifixions to take several days. Some were merely tied to the cross. Jesus, as we know, was nailed to the cross. And he was nailed to the cross, and we'll see why in just a few verses, because the Jewish people, they wanted to speed this up because of the Sabbath the next day. So, so Jesus comes, and he comes to this place. Look at his flogging here in John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, and we'll put that up here. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail! King of the Jews, they mocked, as they slapped him across the face. So Jesus endured the flogging and made his path to the cross. And as, as he made his journey down to the place of execution, chapter, 9, uh, ver, chapter 19, verse 19 tells us, Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. What was common when a criminal would would be flogged and then make his journey to the place of execution. He would commonly carry his cross and also around his neck would be a sign. And it would be a title with the accusation, with the crime that he had committed. So Jesus, when he gets on the cross, what does Pilate do? He puts it up and he puts up the title, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It's written in Hebrew. That was the language of religion. So that all, all the Jewish people, the, the, uh, the religious people would understand. Greek, that was the language of philosophy. That was also the cultural language. That was, uh, Greek was the common, that was the everyday person, the everyday man language. And then there was Latin. That was the language of law and government. So we have all these. And the reason, think about that. It's up there and now everybody can know. This is the king of the Jews. Nobody would be able to drive by without seeing this sign. To walk by, I should say, right? Nobody would be able to walk by without seeing this sign. That this is the king of the Jews. It was like, a, like the gospel sharing with us a little glimpse that this is the universal offer to mankind. That whosoever will, will open their heart Whoever will believe in the Savior, who will accept this offering, this sacrifice, may have eternal life. Let's look next at the soldiers, how the soldiers reacted. John 19, 23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments. They made four parts to, to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from, top, from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. This was a fulfillment of Psalm 22:18. It says, They divided my garments among them, 
and for my clothing they cast lots. So long before Jesus ever made it to the cross, we see little glimpses of prophecy, part of God's plan, and this scripture was fulfilled on the cross that day. But I want you to think with me about the soldiers. What a calloused group of people they were. They had been hardened. They had seen crucifixion after crucifixion after crucifixion. It was a common occurrence in the Roman culture for crucifixion. They came to actually enjoy the sport of their trade. Uh, they, even, they even would grabble for the clothing of the criminals. But here the Son of God is dying for them and their sins, for the sins that they are presently committing and they are hoping to win something from this crude type of game. They're just playing and they're, 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 they're you know, it's like casting dice, pulling straws. Let's get the, the, the greatest piece of clothing. Let's, who's going to go home with the best? Imagine a soldier standing there, maybe he's eating an apple, another one just kind of kicked back, leaning up against a, uh, a post, and, and they're just, just, it's common practice. That was the attitude of the soldiers. Here they are, dividing up the clothes. The one piece was not torn. The friends that witnessed the sacrifice, the friends that witnessed the sacrifice, John chapter 19. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his, mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus had a ministry, as I said earlier, that he had a ministry and he, he cared for the people. And even on the cross, as he's bearing this weight of mankind, as he's bearing the weight of my sin, of your sin, he's looking at the relationships that he had. We know that he was born of the virgin birth, that Mary was his mother and took care of him all his life. And so he's standing there, he's watching her grieve, he's watching her mourn, he's watching the pain that she's in, and he's concerned about Mary, even at the darkest hour of his life. And he calls on John, and says, John, I want you to take care of my mother. I want you to take care of my mother. The death of the Son of God. John chapter 19, verse 25. Uh, after this... Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, put it on his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was in the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the two other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he, who, 
who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true. John's referring to himself here. This is John. He's writing. He says, listen, I'm giving you my eyewitness account. This is my testimony. It's true. And he knows. I know that this is true. That he's telling the truth so that you may believe. That's the difference. It's not just history. It's his story that you may believe. And when we believe, when we come and we accept this gift, this ultimate sacrifice on that cross, our lives are changed. For these, verse 36, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And another scripture says that they shall look on him whom they pierced. And John keeps giving us reference on top of reference of, of the scriptures that were being fulfilled so that we can see the work of God, what God had been doing, the death of the Son of God. Think of it after he had died, blood and water. They come to him and they had not broken his bones because he was already dead. So they take a spear and, they, and the soldier comes up and he takes a spear and he spears in to the side of the body. And out comes blood and water. There's a condition that's known as cardiac tamponade. It happens when a person undergoes uh, enough stress in their life that their heart literally bursts from the strain. When this happens, the blood from the heart mixes with the fluid in the sac that surrounds the heart, known as the pericardium. The fluid looks a lot like water. So if you were to pierce that sack after a person died of cardiac tamponade, what you'd see come out would be blood and water. Jesus died. John is making the point here that Jesus died on that cross. The sacrifice had been paid. Jesus died. There was, there's no theories that... You, you may hear people that come up with theories that, well, he didn't really die. John is giving us... The absolute, listen, he died on that cross. The gospel writers uh, don't, don't go into great detail about the crucifixion itself. For the readers of the day, they understood what a Roman crucifixion was. They understood that it was cruelty. They understood the, uh, the nature of it. And as a matter of fact, we could probably use the, the, the word that we could share today is excruciating. It was excruciating pain. Uh, the, 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 the word excruciating comes from the, the, the Latin words that means out of the cross. And it's interesting to me how sometimes the, the things that, that we take for granted have influenced the way we talk. Excruciating. Every time you talk and use that word excruciating, it comes back to that Roman crucifixion. Excruciating. Out of the cross. Josephus called the Roman crucifixion the most pitiable of all deaths. The most pitiable. Um, Cicero, the Roman philosopher, he said this, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possible, possibly describe so horrible a deed. So we see, even from history, that, that, that the Roman crucifixion was a horrible, horrible, painful death. It, it, it mixed not only the, the, the excruciating pain, but also humility, being hung on a tree outside the town where everybody can see. And people are, 
are coming by and they're knowing the crime that you have committed. So here's Jesus and he's up on this tree, the king of the Jews, and he did it for you. He did it for me. This was the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Um, over in, in the Old Testament, we see the, the Passover Lamb. This, this was the, this is also interesting that, that Jesus died during the Passover feast. It was during the time of Passover. And so we see the, the Lamb of God. Passover, as you know, is the, the time that, uh, that God released the, the slaves, the Jewish slaves, out of Egypt. And they came, and they had to do what God told them to do, to put blood on the doorpost. And as they came and put that blood on the doorpost, God said that he would pass over. The death angel would pass over those homes. And all, the, all those that, that didn't have the blood would lose their firstborn son. And so here we go now. And, 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 and they have this, they're, they're remembering this over and over. They have this festival every year. And they have their, the, 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 the sacrificial system. And John refers to Jesus here. First, uh, in John chapter 1, 29, he says this. This is what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. Let's read it together. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. So we see this was God's lamb. This was God's sacrifice. Uh, Isaiah 53, 7 says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The Old Testament sacrificial system required a lamb. For Passover, it had required a lamb. And so I want to just draw this morning just a few, few correlations between the Passover lamb, that what God had required, and what God did in Jesus, the Lamb of God. Okay, first of all, it had to be a lamb. Okay, Exodus 12.3 says that each man was to take a lamb. So it had to be a lamb uh, for his household. It couldn't be a bull or a dove, uh, which were sometimes used in other Old Testament sacrifices. But God was very particular the Passover, it had to be a lamb, only a lamb. Nothing else would do. When John sees Jesus, he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Secondly, it must be a male. Exodus 12.5 specifies that the animals you choose must be, uh, must be your old males. And Jesus fulfilled this, that he was born of a man. The virgin of the, of the Virgin Mary. Without sin. 100% God. 100% man. It must be without blemish. The Hebrew text uses the phrase called without defect. This means that the, uh, that the Jewish men would have to carefully inspect the lambs to make sure that there were no open sores, no patches or bare skin, no infections, no diseases. No blotches, no blemishes, no sickness of any kind. And this was done so that the person making the offering would not give a lame or an inferior sacrifice and keep something better at home. So the lamb was to be without blemish. And what do we know about Jesus? He was the only perfect son of God. 
He was the Son of God. We know that he was the Lamb without blemish, we see over uh, in, in, in Hebrews. The Lamb without blemish. And so this morning, I want to remind you that this was the Lamb of God on the altar, on the cross. It must be slain. Exodus 12 is also clear that the, that the lamb must be slain. It must be killed. And what did Jesus do? Jesus was sacrificed. He was killed on the cross. There was no, you know, think about it. Not only was Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull, not only was that the place where everybody could see, it wasn't hidden. There was no question that Jesus had died. There would be so many witnesses to his death. It wasn't... Jesus didn't come and die of a heart attack. He didn't come and die of a car accident, some mishap. He came and he was sacrificed. He was slain. It must have no broken bones. Exodus 12:46 says that the animals that were chosen for the yearly Passover for that sacrifice, none of them, uh, none of the bones were to be broken. And what do we see? Jesus in John 19, Jesus' legs. We're not broken. Matthew tells us in uh, 27, verse 27, 45 of Matthew. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. The sacrifice. It was, it, it, the, the darkness came upon the land and the sacrifice was there as the Son of God died. As He paid the price for your sin. And when we understand the price for our sin, we understand that our sin separates us from God. We understand that if we get what we deserve, we go to a real place called hell, the Bible tells us. This is why it was so serious that Jesus had to come. And he had to be the spotless, the sinless Lamb of God. Jesus was also on the cross from the hours of about 9 o'clock till 3 o'clock. That was the typical hours that a sacrifice would be made during Passover from about 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock in the temple. And so, just imagine, here's Jesus on the cross during that same time. As Jesus has died, they come up and they spear him and out comes blood and water. I understand that in the temple, how that they would have to clean up the sacrifice. They had a system of blood and a drainage system that came out into the Kidron Valley. And if you went there around 3.30 you would be able to see the blood and the water coming down the Kidron Valley. John MacArthur says that, that it was likely that there was 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed in that time, in that, in that period for Passover. Think of the amount of blood. So think of what would be coming out of that drainage system, what was coming out of the body of Jesus, blood and water. Jesus died. He was the Lamb of God. And he, died, he did that to take away the sin of mankind, to take away your sin. And the last point in your notes this morning is the hope that Christ has given at the cross. The hope that Christ gave us at the cross. At the darkest hour, his disciples were wondering what is going on. The pain. Uh, and for Jesus, the pain was incredible on the cross. And why did he do that? He did that for this. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. And uh, let's read that together. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
That's why he did that. That is the whole reason. This should motivate our lives. And I ask you this morning, as, as we think about the hope that Christ gives us, how do we respond? Are we responding like the soldiers and just kind of indifferent? We've heard that before. How can we ever come to the place where we say, I've heard that before? Every time I come and I read, read that passage, it, it moves me, it challenges me. It's, wow, the Savior did this for me. We're to have a fresh take, a fresh, a fresh look. This was, the, this was the passion of Jesus. You are the passion of Jesus. He died on the cross to pay for your sin. He came back to life. And that's the exciting point. And I know in three weeks we're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to celebrate the resurrection. But this is our motivation. Without the crucifixion, we wouldn't have the resurrection. Jesus died on that cross. He paid for the sin of mankind. And his victory, he overcame that death. But the greatest part for you, the greatest part for me, is that he died on that cross to pay for your sin. He became your offering. He became your sacrifice. As we come to a close this morning, I'd like for you to think with me about Barabbas and what Barabbas did. Barabbas was a criminal. He was the one who deserved to die. And as Pilate, Pilate allowed, them, allowed the crowd to choose, who do you want, Barabbas or do you want Jesus? Who shall it be, Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd chooses Jesus to go to the cross. So they free Barabbas. But as Barabbas was freed, think of the, how he had been waiting in that jail cell. And he'd been thinking about, my life is in the balances. Um, this, this isn't looking good. I'm the criminal. I deserve to die. And then Barabbas is freed. Barabbas never came back and said, let me try and pay this. He never came back and said, let me take that cross. He enjoyed the freedom and he went free because his substitute was on that cross. And this morning I'd like to challenge you to that thought that your substitute was on that cross. You, I deserve to be on that cross. And Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate, I'm going to prove my love for you, and I'm going to, while you are still a sinner, die to pay for your sin. Will you open your heart and accept that sacrifice? Maybe you've accepted that sacrifice long ago. Will you... Will you refocus your life? Will you refocus down to, to who Jesus is? This is Jesus. And respond to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have a daily walk. Um, over in 1 Corinthians 1.23, but we preach Christ crucified so that the, uh, to the Jews it is a stumbling block and to the Greeks it is foolishness. That's what we're to do now. We're to go out and we're to proclaim this. We're to go out and tell the good news. Continue on. Listen, the Lamb of God paid the sin for you. And I'm to go out and I'm to share the good news. I'm to go out. I'm to be compelled by this. Think of the book of Acts. After Jesus had died on the cross, three days later they see the risen Lord and, and they have 40 days with Him afterwards. And then in the book of Acts they go out and they, are, they set the world on fire. Why? Because... This was the message that would change their lives. They weren't 
They weren't thinking, in how comfortable can I be? They were thinking, how can I tell people? How can I tell people? And that, that was their motivation. So this morning, I'd like to challenge us as a church. Let's open our heart to the things of God. Open up to the reality of his story. Because in his story, there is so much hope. The hope of eternal life. The hope of a life that you don't have to live a life of torture here. You don't have to live a life of, of, of emptiness away from him. Torture away from him. You're living a life in his presence. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare to close the service, I'd just like to ask you, maybe you're here and you've never opened your heart to the things of God. You've heard the message of salvation today. You've heard that Jesus died on the cross for you. That he came back to life for you, but maybe it just hasn't been real. It just hasn't come to the place of reality in your life. Where you've said, yes, Jesus, I want you. I invite you in. You can do that right here today. You can, by simply just opening your heart to him, just pray a prayer something like this to, the, to God. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I've offended a holy God. And Lord, I know that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Thank you that you took my place. That you are my substitute. Thank you that you came back to life again. I invite you into my life right now this morning. And for others in this room, I'd like to ask you to I'd like to ask you to, to open your heart to the things of God. Maybe God is working with you about an area. Maybe, maybe we've just been a little cold to the, to the reality of the sacrifice. Maybe we've taken it for granted for a while. God is doing a work in our life. He died for you. Will you respond to him? What is it that God is talking to you about this morning? Father God, I come before you and I ask that you'll be with each person in our congregation, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you died on the cross, that you paid the sin for us all. And I thank you that you came back to life again. God, I ask that you will do great and mighty things as we, as we respond to your truth. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing our closing song.